3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on this Tuesday. Uh, we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about uh, that madman who's the governor of Texas, according to the mayor of New York, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West on that. And Congresswoman Nancy Mason's studio, she's with the Oversight Armed Services Committee. She's got a busy day ahead of her. She's got to go back to Washington to vote, but first she's in studio with some quality time. Great to see you, Congresswoman. Yeah, good
1: morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. What is
3: it with South Carolina? you got a former governor on stage. you got a senator on stage. Lindsey Graham weighs in on everything. This is a consequential state you're in.
1: It is. It's the first in the South in the presidential primary. And historically, except for 2012, if you win the state of South Carolina in the Republican primary for president... You will go on to win the nomination. I do believe it's the most consequential early state in the mix for the primary for next year.
3: Um, Governor Sununu is in a panic. Governor Hogan in a panic that Donald Trump's get the nomination again. Do you believe uh, that he is in the driver's seat like the polls indicate?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, he's winning everywhere he's he's going to be on the ballot. And you know it's up to voters. It's not up to a governor. It's not up to one person. It's not up to anyone to decide who the nominee is going to be. It's up to the voters of this country, Republican primary voters, to decide who they want on the ticket next year. And thank God we're running against Joe Biden, because I believe everybody on stage today can beat Joe Biden. I mean, I don't know if you watched the Hanoi press conference. It was a huge embarrassment. It's one of Hundreds of press conferences, you know, in, in interviews we've seen Joe Biden do that are just off the rails, and um, and so I think we have a, a great chance at winning next year, and we've got to get behind the nominee, who no matter who it is,
3: I can't believe this because Democrats are not dumb, and they are spending twenty five million now for ads for Joe Biden. Now we have four hundred plus days into the election. Mm-hmm. He's got no primary opponent, who has twenty five million dollars to waste. What do you think the internals are saying?
4: I think that
1: they're in dire straits with Joe Biden on the ticket. He's the greatest gift to Republicans next year. Um, and, you know, every day that that Joe Biden's on TV is another day that Democrats have a chance of losing. I mean, I, I cannot believe this guy has lied about his son's businesses and the, the polling shows 63 percent of Americans believe Joe Biden was involved and did something wrong or illegal. Uh, you look at the way that he's lied to the American people. You look at his embarrassing speeches on the world stage. Uh, the American people aren't buying what Joe Biden is selling. And I think that they're in a panic.
3: Uh, here is what Donna Brazil said, who mm-hmm. used to run the DNC. Cut 10.
5: I'm not sleeping at night thinking all this is well, all right. OK? I have nieces and nephews who say, well, why should I vote for this guy? He's a little old. I say, your papa was old, too. And look what he did to help you. So I I, I think the Democrats have to continue to make the case. Democrats should be concerned.
3: So she went on. For her to say that... Mm-hmm. She doesn't make stuff up. In fact, she always goes to the left to the point where I almost fast-forward her sound bites. But for her to say that, there was a reason. Is there somebody not getting the message? Is that sometimes when high-profile people like Carville and company get Mm -hmm. on? Carl Rob will do it, too, for the right. And come in and do stuff like that. Have you learned that in the past? No,
1: I think so. And I think, you know, polling and what people are seeing with (laughs) Biden's age, it is a problem. I mean, if you look at an actuary table, his age and his mental state is a huge problem. Does he even make it through this term now, let alone a second term? If he doesn't make it through a second term, you know, President Kamala, if they win, is what all of us are looking at today. I mean, she essentially is going to be the next president. It's not Joe Biden on the ticket. It's Kamala Harris.
3: So the punch bowl has it. Fox News confirmed it, that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, plans to tell House Republicans in a meeting this week that he's launching an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Mm. Uh, He says the logical next step is some of the things the very conservative members of your party are demanding. Do you think it's the right move?
1: I do. So I, I, w- I was a little hesitant at first because I didn't want the investigations and ways and means judiciary and oversight to be overlooked or to be um, eliminated, and they will not be. What the inquiry will do is it give us – easier access, better access to Joe Biden's bank records. And I think that's an important next step. If the American people, if you, Brian, can see what I've seen in the SARS reports, you would say, absolutely, use every tool in the toolbox to show the corruption of this president.
3: Suspicious activity reports.
1: At, from the Treasury, what? which we can't show the American people. Why? Well, they're confidential and it would be illegal for me to give them to you to show the American public. So we have to use uh, subpoenas. We have to use bank records. We have to go after other information evident in the SARS reports and show that to the American people. And that takes time and effort and money.
3: Just so you know, uh, Jamie Raskin also has seen that. Mm -hmm. And he is on the House. He's a ranking member in the Oversight Committee. And he says House Republicans constantly insist that they are investigating President Biden and his adult son. In that case, we can form an obvious judgment on their investigation. It's been a complete total bust.
1: Yeah, it's not. I, I like Jamie Raskin. I work with him a lot, but he's not telling the truth here. And if you look at just the FBI document, the accusation that Ukrainian executives paid off Hunter and Joe Biden $10 million, where is the investigation? Where is the documentation? Where are the bank records? We need to see those. Every time Joe Biden has been asked about Hunter Biden's businesses or Joe Biden's involvement with Hunter's businesses, Joe Biden has lied every single time. And so, yes. Why lie if you've done nothing wrong? And um, the amount of money that we're talking about, the allegations of money laundering and racketeering and bribery in the SARS reports would blow your mind, which is why I've said from the beginning, it's going to be over $50 million worth of money laundering when we get this investigation done, if we can complete it.
3: So when you have uh, right now that you have. Hunter Biden saying, my dad's next to me. He's not happy. Uh, we, we have a long memory. We're going to forget it. Kind of berating the energy mm-hmm. executive. And you better get back to me directly as I paraphrase. And then you have Devin Archer said he called in 20 times over 10 years, but he just wanted to check in with his son. Right. Jamie Raskin would say, why do people continue to say there's no linkage to the president but yet you haven't said directly Mm -hmm. how the president is linked well the left wants to
1: say all this behavior is normal this is not normal biden was in office for over 40 years How does a guy like that make the kind of money he has on that kind of salary and none of this happens without joe biden hunter biden was on the plane over 16 times we know that hunter biden complained that he had to give half his income to his father the bank records through the impeachment inquiry, I believe will prove – that out.
3: So here is what Ken Buck said uh, with the Freedom Caucus. He says he opposes an impeachment in Korea to Biden, putting that odds with other people that believe like Matt Gates, If you don't do it, I'm going to get rid of you, Kevin McCarthy. So what are you going to do with Ken Buck and others in purple districts where they feel it's walking the plank to vote for this yeah. because they're in very mixed areas? I'm
1: in a purple district as well. And, I, and my, I do have a concern that an inquiry will lead to an impeachment vote and put those seats at risk. But I do believe that the American people deserve the truth and nothing but the truth. And if the bank records or the inquiry gets us the bank records, then that's what we have to have. And the American people can decide whether or not they want a corrupt president to move forward. And I think that's, that's important for them to see the truth, see the records, and make a decision for themselves because an impeachment, as I've said before – Is not going to go anywhere in the Senate. There'll be an investigation in the House if it happens. But the trial is over in the Senate, and Democrats are never going to allow that, no matter what
3: evidence comes forward. There is some breaking news, and that is it looks like this hostage deal is going to go through where there's going to be hostage for hostage, Iranian-Americans, two Mm -hmm. of which have dual citizenship at least. We don't know much about the others. And then they get their hostages, which they came with hostages back, but we won't take hostages. Uh, There was a reason why they were arrested and they get six billion dollars that's been frozen in South Korea since 2019 Mm -hmm. by the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. But the money goes to Qatar. Well, the president of the president of Iran said the money's coming to us. I don't know what you're talking about. We'll spend it the way we want to spend it. What questions do you have about this deal?
1: Well, we want to know the details of the deal. The administration often doesn't tell the truth. And here's the thing. Last year in twenty twenty two. The American government banned the world's best tennis player from coming over to play the U.S. Open because he was unvaccinated. But next week at the U.N., we're going to allow an Iranian delegation, you know, a, a delegation that supports uh, mass murders, right. uh, political dissidents, not just in 88, but last year also. We're going to allow them into our country. We're going to give them not only we're we doing a, a hostage exchange here, but we're going to give them six billion dollars. Where's the money going? Who's going to audit it? Who's going to make sure? And they're saying it's Qatar. But uh, I don't have a lot of faith, and the fact that the administration announced this $6 billion deal to the number one state-sponsored terrorism country in the world on 9-11 is so offensive. I can't, I cannot understand where the administration, where the heck they're coming well, from. Let's
3: keep you on the international scene for a second. Nancy Mace, our guest, Kim Jong-un today will be traveling by train through China to Russia, at which time he's got a lot of very Soviet, Russian-friendly artillery so it looks like he's going to sell to Russia in terms for electronics and other sophisticated equipment. Is there anything we can do? We have no leverage here. It doesn't. Suit. We have
1: no leverage, and we're unwilling to utilize any leverage we might have. Um, you know, in a non-kinetic space to deal with this. And you know, uh, the ki- the fact that he's going to be doing business with Putin makes the world less. Safe. And uh, I'm beside myself that every time Biden gets up to a microphone or one of his secretaries goes overseas, the capitulation we have with other nations, including our adversaries, is unbelievable to
6: me.
3: Here's what Mike Pompeo said Cut 29. Where he's going today
6: is to provide munitions and weapon systems to someone who's committing aggression in Ukraine, inside of Europe. Our conversations with him were very different. We were attempting to convince him to give up his nuclear weapon system. Today, this administration has failed to stop him from doing something basic, like providing artillery shells uh, to the Russians, who are uh, stuck and have a supply chain that is compromised. And now North Korea appears to be riding to the rescue. Make no mistake about it. The Chinese Communist Party is at the center of this as well. Much as our conversations with Chairman Kim were always dependent on what Xi Jinping would allow him to say to me yeah. or to President Trump, Xi Jinping is approving of this travel for Chairman Kim this trip as well.
1: Right. It's not just aggression. We're talking about a country, Putin and Russia, not just committing aggression, committing war crimes, kidnapping children, murdering women and children, raping women and children. I, I, you know, and uh, we just let this go on. The world is... You know, turning a blind eye right You've now. You got
3: to run to television. My last mm-hmm. question is: Are would you are you going to commit to continue to finance the Ukraine war? i uh, uh,
1: it's it's going to be hard. I um I want to hear from my constituents. Uh, a lot of Americans do not want to support. Ukrainian funding without an audit, without knowing where the money has gone, is lethal aid gotten into the right hands or to get sold off in a black market? And so I am not quite there yet, uh, and I'm just going to be talking to folks and trying to get as much information as I can before we have that vote.
3: Well, you have three weeks to do a lot, and not shut the government down. It's going to be a lot. Get to lots. Of good I am not
1: voting for more spending, so it's just it's going to be a difficult couple of weeks ahead. So
3: you don't like what the Senate's pumped out with those ten appropriation no, bills?
1: I, I don't, and I just um, you know the debt ceiling bill really, really frustrated me. I think American people were lied to. And now we're going to have all these supplementals that are going to spend even higher amounts of money. And I'm, I'm really struggling with what that looks like in the future for your children and grandchildren.
3: Congresswoman Nancy Mace, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Newsmakers and
2: newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures
2: and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin.
7: It's Brian Kilmeade. Remember the famous song, you know, Good Morning Vietnam. Well, good evening, Vietnam. The Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union source and says, he's a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. The third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Southern Hemisphere had access to change it, had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came thank, said, thank you, everybody.
8: This ends the press conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank
7: you. Thank
8: you.
3: So they came in, they brought in music, they just cut off the five questioners. Then he said, anybody else staff? And then when someone asked the question, he said, come on, I already answered my questions. I didn't call on you. So that is part of the reason why people are saying and from the Democratic Party and Democratic networks like CNN, they're worried about his age. The polls show they're worried about his age and his health. The guy is not healthy. He's not sharp. I have no idea who's making decisions. He's not well staffed. They don't seem to be looking out for him. And a lot of the stuff he says is inconsequential. For example, the movie and the song. There is no song, Good Morning Vietnam. And I'm so mad at myself for not saying this yesterday because I went to Apple Music and I thought I might have missed it. I thought it was the 1960s and I don't know everything about the 1960s. It might have been a Vietnam song. But I put it in. There was no Vietnam song. It was the Robin Williams movie. The Vietnam song, Good Morning Vietnam, the song. What are you talking about? And number two is, with this dog-faced pony shoulder, with John Wayne, it's an inconsequential, incongruent reference that for some reason is stuck in his head. But that is not the movie anyway. Here's what, here's what Joe uh, Biden said. First, he describes it, cut for.
7: There's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout. And they're trying to get, the I think it was the Apache, one of the great tribes of America back on the reservation. And he's standing with the Union so he's they're all on their and they're on their horses and their saddles and there's three or four Indians in headdresses and the Union soldiers. And the Union soldiers basically saying, to The Indians, come with me, we'll take care of you, we'll be everything will be good and the Indian scout the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union Soul and says, He's a lion dog faced pony soldier. Well, there's a lot of lion dog faced pony soldiers out there but about
3: global warming. Oh, my goodness. So, number one, I've never seen the movie. I don't understand the reference. If people disagree with you on global warming, they're not lying. They have a legitimate disagreement, including scientists, which you're not. You're never even interested in it for the longest time, but your party's interested in it. But here is the actual movie and the exchange. Cut five. Tyrone Power, not John Wayne, in a movie Biden described. Five. Five.
9: Today, I, Kona, war chief and leader of the dog soldiers, will give a pony to a poor man. For I bring in a captive, a red coat pony soldier. You have taken two captives from the country of the Long Knives. The pony soldier speaks with the tongue of the snake that rattles. It is standing bear who speaks with a forked tongue.
3: Okay. Do you feel smarter? Um, I, I think it's insane that that's in his mind all the time. He said it two years ago, too. And then he makes up some story about 9-11. I was there the next day after 9-11. It was looking like, looking like the gates of hell. Well, they did a fact check on him. He wasn't there. It was two weeks later, I think September 22nd, when he shows up on 9-11. So the thing is, if it was just one isolated incident, it would be different. That means he would have beat George Bush there. And there were a lot of people calling out for lawmakers to show up in, in New York and show how bad it was because they're going to need a lot of aid. But it's crazy for him not to show up. For political purposes, you can look presidential by showing down, showing up downtown at the Pentagon or with Flight 93 or coming out of the White House and saluting something. But he does not want to go to New York because he's destroying the city with his immigration policies. He's supposed to be giving more money to everybody because he screwed up the border so bad. And he's not. And the mayor has called him out. The governor has called him out. And now I think people think of Afghanistan and why we went in to begin with and who pulled us out. That's the problem. And then he goes to Alaska and to a military base, and they are underappreciated. I know a couple of people that are there, and they do great work, and they're right near Russia. You actually can see Russia from Alaska. Tulsi Gabbard went in last night. This really stood out with me. Cut seven. It's insulting
6: beyond words. It was also insulting to hear in the speech that he delivered during that fuel stop in Alaska, him lecturing the American people about how it is our responsibility that we must take seriously to defend democracy. And he is saying these words, lecturing us as he and his administration every step of the way are undermining our own democracy, both by his politicizing the Department of Justice to go after Donald Trump, his major political opponent in this upcoming presidential election, his going after and changing the rules of the DNC to make it so people who vote for RFK Jr., their votes won't actually count. He is sending his Department of Justice after parents who are trying to stand up for their right to to their children's education. It's a slap in the face for him to try to lecture us when he is doing the exact opposite.
3: Wow, uh, that was comprehensively done. Now you know why Tulsi Gabbard took apart Kamala Harris in the debate. So when we come back, it's going to be interesting because I'm going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West about really uh, Governor Governor Abbott being called out by Mayor of New York, calling him a madman because he sent a few thousand illegal immigrants into New York, the Sanctuary City. Who's the madman who has not tried to revoke the Sanctuary City status while complaining about it? Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't move.
2: Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: Never in my life have I had a problem. That I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Started with a madman down in Texas decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City.
3: So the (laughs) madman. So it's okay to overrun his cities, not this city. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, who ran against that madman. Not because he, wasn't, well, he was too aggressive. He wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, Alan West is a uh, best-selling author. He's also a uh, former congressman from Florida, American Constitutional Rights Union executive director. Colonel, would you think that he called him a madman from Texas?
10: Well, I mean, it's just insidious. This is all about the shifting of the blame. You have the mayor of Los Angeles, who I served in Congress with, Karen Bass. They want to bring a lawsuit against Greg Abbott, you know, for him busing illegals to, uh, to Los Angeles. But yet you have uh, the real madman who ca- caused all of this, Joe Biden, who is now saying that he is going to – put ankle bracelets on illegal immigrants to to keep them locked into the state of Texas. Uh, Texas is not a sanctuary state, although I'm sure we have some cities like Austin, Dallas, and Houston would like to be sanctuary cities. But it's the hypocrisy of New York saying they're Sanctuary City or Chicago or Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden they get these illegal immigrants, and they're screaming bloody murder. The bottom line is that no one is standing on the the rule of law, the Constitution. These six to seven million illegal immigrants should not be in this country, and the right thing to do would be to repatriate them back across the Rio Grande. But no one's going to do that uh, until we get a new person sitting in the Oval Office.
3: Uh, Here's what the former governor of New York said. Cut 18.
6: It's very simple. Mayorkas should be impeached. He is not doing his job. He is completely untruthful, whether he talks about their helping with the illegals or the fact that the border is closed. The border is not closed. It's wide open.
3: So he didn't know how he wouldn't know how to deal with it if he was here. But uh, but you would understand if the Democratic president was blowing off a Republican governor. He's destroying his chances of keeping at least a chamber. Mm-hmm. Think about what's happening in Illinois. Think about what's happening in Massachusetts. Yeah. Think about what's happening in New York. These are people, these, their seats, okay, they might not be governor seats, but they're congressional seats. Upstate New York is very red. Long Island has gotten very red. And there's not going to be a Democrat to be found, which will prevent him from winning the House.
10: Well, what's interesting is all of a sudden you have people in Staten Island talking about you know separating from the rest of New York City, and then of course look at Governor Pritzker over in Illinois saying that he wants to make illegal immigrants law enforcement officers. So we're going to take people that have broken the law to come into the country. You cannot vet them. You don't know their background, but yet you're going to make them law enforcement officers. So what Joe Biden has really done uh, is created a horrible issue for the Democrat Party and issue that they can't run on. They can't stand on. They can have, you know, the the mayor of New York City come out and say that uh, Governor Abbott is a madman. But in truth, the person that caused all of this is the person that is a Democrat president of the United States of America, that's Joe Biden. And Alexander Mayorka should be impeached, and Joe Biden should be impeached for opening our borders because that's a violation of the Constitution. So
3: uh, here's what Congressman Chip Roy said. As you know, Congress got three weeks to avoid a government shutdown. They want to do a CR. There's 12 appropriation bills put out by the Senate. Only one is put out by the House. I don't know what's taking them so long. Here's what Chip Roy said has to happen. Cut 21.
6: A shutdown is a consequence of a government not actually doing its job. Right. That's the that's the reality of what we're trying to deal with right now. If there's going to be a shutdown, it's because Joe Biden refuses to do the job that he is supposed to do. My job is to actually fund a government that secures liberty, that secures our country, not fund a government at odds with the American people. So if there's a shutdown. It's because the executive branch isn't doing what it's supposed to do.
3: And one thing they want to do is have an impeachment inquiry. It looks like the speaker's going to do that. How do you feel about Roy's stance?
10: Well, I mean, it's a very principled stance, but my question is, Brian, why would you go on an August recess? Why would you take five weeks off if you know that, you know, you have only passed one appropriations bill in the House and the Senate has not, you know, passed any? So once again, we see this not just incompetence, we see uh, an abject dismissal of the one thing that the uh, legislative branch is is uh, mandated to do by the Constitution, which is pass a budget. And so once again, they're going to come back and dilly-dally about a continuing resolution and all of these things when we see that we're looking at a $2 trillion deficit for fiscal year 2023. They don't want to get our fiscal house in order. And so I think that it's Instead of pointing fingers at the executive branch, they need to point fingers at themselves uh, because they are failing to do their constitutionally mandated duty.
3: So where's his heading? I hear the numbers are at 7,000 a day. They're only pressuring Texas. They're not uh, pressuring Arizona with a good with Democratic governor or the Democratic governor of Mexico or the Democratic governor of California. So what is the latest? And is there something the governor can do to stop the selling off of that fence?
10: Thank you. Well, I would think that, first and foremost, the governor of Texas needs to do what he is constitutionally being the federal constitution and also the state constitution allowed to do, is to repel invasions. That's what it says, to protect the sovereignty of the state of Texas, to protect the people of the state of Texas, the human and sex trafficking, the drug trafficking, all of these things. The fact that we don't have operational control of our border here in Texas. It was about a month ago I was down there in uh, in Kinney County, which is between Eagle Pass and Del Rio. We still have the cartels advertising on social media for citizens to come down there and pick up illegals and transport them. And the high-speed chases that go through Kenny County, they just continue to occur. We've got to shut this stuff down, and that has to happen now at the state level, maybe even at a a more local level at at that county level. But right now, no one is doing what they're supposed to do by the Constitution. That includes, you know, being able to pass a budget, being able to secure our borders, uh, nothing. And now look at this mess over New Mexico where you have a governor that is suspending a constitutional right of uh, of citizens.
3: Yeah, it's uh, something that's got to give uh, when it comes to that. Uh, the president of the United States, uh, his team is pushing back. Everybody keeps talking about his age, and they're saying, guys, stop focusing on his age. When you see him overseas and you see him speak, do you think it's wrong to comment on his age? Uh...
10: No, I don't think it's wrong to comment on it because this is something that not only do we see here in the United States of America, something that the world sees. They do not see strength; they do not they, they they see weakness. I mean, when was the last time you had a president at a foreign you know in a foreign country at a press conference say, "I'm going to bed"? I mean, what are you supposed to draw from that? And so the Democrats are trying to say that he's some strong, virile you know, man that is going out there leading our country. He's not, and it's quite embarrassing. And I think at some point in time, they're going to have to start looking at what was just revealed in that CNN poll. I'm, we're talking about CNN, not Fox News poll, a CNN poll that says that uh, two-thirds of Democrats are concerned about him, his age, his mental uh, abilities and acuity. Uh, so this is not something coming from the right. This is coming from the American people. So I want you to hear how he opened up his
7: speech in Alaska. Cut one. Governor Don Levy, it's good to see you. Governor and I have something in common. We're both from Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I wish I had him playing in my high school ball club when I was playing. But I would have, could have been an All-American have you in front of me. Is that uh, really
3: reading the moment?
10: Well, that's a very slurred speech, and we also know that he embellished another thing, talking about how he was there September the 12th at Ground Zero. We know that he was not in his autobiography. So we have to question the ability of this individual who's supposed to be the leader of the free world. He's not up to this task.
3: Yeah, uh, right now we have a situation where— This president's not campaigning, and the former president's not campaigning. He's picking his spots. He's doing kind of fundraisers. He's not doing big rallies. Going to a football game, talking to fraternity houses. How do you characterize Donald Trump's campaign style so far and pace and cadence?
10: Um, I would say, first of all, I mean, I grew up down south. I love SEC football. Uh, I don't think you should go to a football game, and definitely go to a tailgate with a suit and a tie. Uh, you want to try to at least seem like you know you're you're there with the people. But the other thing is that and I've said this to you before, Donald Trump has to change the narrative. Donald Trump has to not be viewed as someone that is under multiple indictments. He has to be viewed as a presidential candidate. And I think you have to do those things to put you on that platform of being a presidential candidate. So somehow he's got to, you know, improve that messaging and and talk about the issues that the American people are facing. That's what you should be using your social media platform to do. As far as Joe Biden, I I do, do just don't believe that he's going to end up being the nominee for the Democrat Party. They're trying to figure out how they get themselves out of this incredible mess that they're in uh, and how do they move Kamala Harris aside. uh, And they're going to completely violate everything that they believe in with identity politics. But they're imploding on the Democrat side. So I think that, you know, if Donald Trump can change the narrative, if Donald Trump can, you know, come out and go on offense and and not allow himself to be weighed down with all of these legal issues. You know, he's got a great shot, but he's got to go out and change that that messaging.
3: Yeah, we'll see. And finally, Iran is about to get six billion dollars in exchange for five Americans, as well as getting people back for them. Your reaction to this proposed deal, which I think is a done deal.
10: Well, it's a horrible thing uh, to happen because basically you put a target on Americans. Uh, And so I would say that Americans traveling anywhere in the Middle East or really even in Europe, uh, you need to be very wary of your surroundings and making sure that uh, you're not taken. Uh, Liam Neeson is not going to come and get you, uh, but Joe Biden is only going to write a check. And that means that you're just increasing the opportunity for people to go out and take Americans because they believe that that's going to pay. And, of course, Iran is going to use that to continue to do what they do best, and that's export terrorism.
3: No doubt about it. Uh, And now I just hate all Iranian-Americans. Do not go to Iran. We're not going to bail you out anymore. These are two of the – at least two are dual citizenship. Get Zoom. Get FaceTime because you know you're going to be grabbed. You know you're not – you've done nothing wrong. But we can't keep exchanging people. Uh, for Iranian-Americans, because you have no business
5: there.
10: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. They've got to understand, and I think that that's where the State Department should come out and issue that travel uh, advisor, travel warning, travel restriction to any uh, iranian America, as you said, going back there, because they've got a target on them.
3: They do. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right, go get them one You can write me, BrianKilmead.com. Don't move.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmead. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Gilmade.
4: We don't have words to describe Biden. We have poll numbers. I've never seen a president with six straight negatives electability, personal attributes, doesn't care about people like me, doesn't have a plan, approval rating overall, approval rating on the issues, not beating any of the Republicans or within the margin of error of them. And then, of course, people are very upset with him for the withdrawal of Afghanistan. I still think it's the worst thing he's done as president, and that's saying a lot. It's a long list. Today could have been a day when he would explain and, and lift up the military. You know what he said in Alaska? He said he basically said Donald Trump's more of a threat than the people who took down this country on 9-11. Think about that. He just made a lot of ads for next fall.
3: Well, here we go. And that was, of course, Kellyanne Conway. Nick writes me, too, and says political tactics. While, uh, while we cannot prove election fraud, Democrats continue to make clear-cut politically suicidal moves and seem to do uh, be very comfortable with it. What do they know that we don't? I know. I mean, you see the border. Who benefits from that? You see looking weak with Iran. Who benefits from that? You see a president on the world stage not condemning China. Who benefits from that? I I get it. You see him saying the deficit is going down when it's doubled. He knows he's lying when he makes up the fact that he was in 9-11 one day after. We know it was two weeks. Who benefits from that? Garrett writes this. A scenario, Biden steps down, Kamala becomes president, chooses Hillary as VP. Then Kamala steps down, Hillary now president. Any thoughts? Kamala would never step down. That's my thought. But naming Hillary number two, that would be something Democrats would do. Bonnie writes this, tell Republicans to do something. Please do something right now. Anything. I guess she wants to, doesn't want to see a shutdown, but wants to see an impeachment increase. She'll be happy about this. Uh, so Donald Trump's up big. And so far, there's no opponent for Joe Biden. And what people are saying now is they're going to get him out. If he's got to get out, they have to get in. People have to set up super PACs and foundations and hire staffs. So far, I don't see any of that. And I would add this. I would hear rumors of it. Here's, uh, here's Ron DeSantis on going against Joe Biden, a guy he beats by two points in the last poll. Cut six
7: this is a guy
2: that's stumbling around the world stage. Um, He's projecting weakness. I think our enemies have already um, taken advantage of that. They're like, it's likely to invite even more problems around the world. And so, you know, it's sad, but uh, I think it's obvious that, that he's been struggling for quite some time. And I also look and think about who's waiting in the wings with Kamala, Uh, I think she's basically been his impeachment insurance because people know no matter how bad Biden is, nobody wants Harris. And that's just the reality. And that's a sad situation America finds ourselves in. Meanwhile, our country is in a state of decline. I mean, we see it across the board in terms of our strength abroad, our economy here at home, our culture, our education system. And Biden's really been the custodian of that decline.
3: I I think so. And I think if you want to see the weakness of Harris, here's a tough question for Margaret Brennan. It's a vital question. It's one that Democrats have benefited from. This is not the answer they're looking for. It might be one answer. But when the follow up uh, happens, you can't come back with the same answer. Here's an ill-prepared vice president when it comes to Roe v. Wade. Cut 13.
8: I mean, what week of pregnancy should abortion access be cut off? We need to put back in place the protections of Roe v. Wade. We need to put back the protections that are in Roe v. Wade into law. We need to restore the protections of Roe v. Wade. Do you need to be more precise? precise. I am being precise. We need to put into law the protections of Roe v. Wade.
3: It's a joke. I mean, if you answer the same way four times, unless you go into prison and it's a court case, and you, he, my lawyer's going to yell at me for doing it. But if that's your answer four times, you didn't prepare for the interview. Roe v. Wade's been out there and about for two and a half years, and you don't have a clear answer when people ask you what week, because you know the Republicans say, Democrats say, when well, it go to birth, go right to birth, and because they won't name a week, he said, well, that's ridiculous. So then name a week. I'm not going to name a week. That's why I believe. And I said this on One Nation that immigration will be the defining issue of 2024. It'll be the route. And when you look at what's happening in the Senate, I'll tell you, if I was a Democrat in Montana, I would be extremely nervous. Tim Sheehy is the real deal. He's got a war record, multiple deployments in Iraq and Af- uh, Afghanistan. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL. He's from Montana, a Republican. I think he could take out. Uh, I think he could take out uh, that senator there tester and when you see that Mike Rogers got in in Michigan a bit of a surprise but he's been elected before in Michigan he is not way to the right of Donald Trump he in fact as long as he doesn't get a primary Trump opponent he could win there and think about Manchin and justice that's going to be all justice things are looking good in the Senate for Republicans
2: from the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, up from 48th and Sixth in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're going to go to Washington D.C. Jackie Heinrich covering the White House. Uh, the president's back. Is he going to be keeping a busy schedule? I guess he's a little upset right now. He's a little upset right now because. Uh, He feels as though too many people are talking about how old he is. I think we're talking more about his performance. And then we have Varney and company will do a simulcast. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
3: Number three. A shutdown
6: is a consequence of a government not actually doing its job, right? That's That's the reality of what we're trying to deal with right now. If there's going to be a shutdown, it's because Joe Biden refuses to do the job that he is supposed to do.
3: All right. That's not how he'll spin it. That is Chip Roy. Are we looking at a shutdown? Impeachment? A CR? Congress getting back with uh, uh, a—Congress gets back, and they have a lot to do. It looks like Kevin McCarthy is going ahead with an impeachment inquiry. Is that the right thing?
5: Number two. I have to be honest with New Yorkers on what we're about to experience, a financial uh, typhoon, a tsunami uh, that I don't think this city has ever experienced. This is not an academic exercise. This is not a utopia.
3: Yeah, we know. But with the sanctuary city and a right to shelter, that's what you get in New York. Awful. The state of our border is so bad, almost every city is suffering, especially New York, the most affected. It's about to make an extreme move that has
7: firefighters and cops rushing to retire.
0: Number one.
7: When evil attacked. Ground Zero, in New York, and I remember standing there the next day. And looking at the building, I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell.
3: Right. It wasn't the next day as usual. Biden bungles too frequent, too bizarre to ignore. Even for Dems, he seems lost on the fictional thoughts. And even his own party is beginning to panic as he pays off Iran, avoids attack, uh, attack sites on 9-11 and spins out fictional stories he thinks are true. I think that he thinks are true, but he was not there after 9-11. He did, This whole John Wayne movie was not a John Wayne movie. Uh, there was no Good Morning Vietnam song. So the things that he points out shows of his age. The, the anger, the flashes of anger, the lack of interviews, the no press conferences, that all plays into the fact that he's trailing in almost every poll to every, every Republican, not an M. Ramaswamy, and the panic looks like it is a panic. They say they need to raise $1.6 billion to win, and they're spending 25 billion million 25 million now on ads. Why would you do that? Unless you're trying to change the perception of your candidate, that's why you would do it. Unless you're worried that the dog-faced pony soldier president is somebody that can't do the job. Nobody thinks he can do the job. The question is, who's going to tell the guy with the keys to Air Force One he can't do the job? That's the key. And there's sarcastic uh, statements put out. Uh, Attention, attention, everybody. Presidents don't need to sleep. They don't need to eat. You don't end a press conference saying, I'm going to bed. I don't think. Here's Donna Brazil. She weighed in on, on the ABC show. Cut in.
5: I'm not sleeping at night thinking all is well, okay? I have nieces and nephews who say, well, why should I vote for this guy? He's a little old. I say, your papa was old, too. And look yeah. what he did to help you. So I... I I think the Democrats have to continue to make the case. Democrats should be concerned.
3: Yeah, I mean, for her to say that, she's trying to send a message to the whole party. Because Joe Biden's not going to help you unless you're a great candidate. So if you think about the Senate, it's very much in peril. It looks very strong for Republicans. I've said that before, so have you. But look at Tim Sheehy. He looks really strong in Montana. Look at Jim Justice. He's winning, beating Joe Manchin by 20 points. Look at uh, a guy like uh, Michael Rogers, who is a multi-year congressman, FBI guy with a military background, not uh, just so, somewhat perfect for Michigan. He's got a legitimate shot at the open seat in Michigan to be the next senator there. I think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. After all, a slim majority for Chuck Schumer's crew, there's a seem to be optimistic, especially when your vice president is Kamala Harris. I mean, listen to Kamala Harris try to talk about, and defend, uh, I guess, Roe, the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, try to say how bad it is for the country and what she wants to do. Cut 13.
8: I mean, what week of pregnancy should abortion access be cut off? We need to put back in place the protections of Roe v. Wade. You we need to put back the protections that are in Roe v. Wade into law. We need to restore the protections of Roe v. Wade. Do you Point need is, to be more precise? precise. I am being precise. We Jesus. need to put into law the protections of Roe versus Wade.
3: I mean, do you believe this? Have you ever not studied for an exam and had to give an oral report? That's every day for her. She said the same thing four times. And to Margaret Brennan's immense credit on Face the Nation, she did not let her off the hook. But you know exactly what she said. I don't even think she knows what the restrictions are on Roe v. Wade. And what they want to do is return it to the states. But Republicans did a terrible job of of saying we're looking to ban abortion. And they said, no, no, you just want to tell women uh, how to handle their health. And there, there goes the message, and they almost didn't win the House back. Imagine how different life would be if Joe Biden still had control of every chamber. It would be an absolute mess. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's happening at the border, uh, especially in New York, where Eric Adams is deciding that he is going to have to take 5% off every department including cops and firefighters. Now, this is pensionable. So if you're in your last five years, you want to do as much overtime as possible so they take the average of the last five and they decide what you're going to get paid the rest of your life. And if you cut overtime now, it's going to have all these men and women retiring right away. Cut 16.
5: I have to be honest with New Yorkers on what we're about to experience, a financial uh, typhoon, a tsunami uh, that I don't think this city has ever experienced. They're going to use terminologies to define the reality of, that I'm facing. This is not an academic exercise. This yeah. is not a utopia.
3: Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. And I know it. But you actually hear policies have a lot to do with it. And he went not on to say a madman in Texas. OK, that madman who spoke on Fox News last night, cut 17
10: the mayor may have made it to be mayor of New York, but he could not last a week in Texas. Mm -hmm. They have so few migrants in New York compared to what we deal with every single day. Uh, It's just outrageous he would make a comment like that. However, i got to add this. What's maddening is the fact that in New York and Chicago and D.C. and L.A. and other places, they
2: put out policies self-proclaiming that they're sanctuary cities. And they love to promote
10: these liberal ideologies until... I have to actually live up and apply them. It's clear that the policies of sanctuary cities and letting everybody live for free simply do not work. This is a day of reckoning for all of the United States, realizing that the liberal policies of open borders will not work in this country.
3: So this is crazy. In New York, you probably don't know this, but the people of Staten Island, mostly a Republican area, are outraged at the illegal immigrants in their neighborhood where they came out and say, we have no idea who we put next to you. Yeah, we don't really know who they are. Really? You don't know who they are? So I'm going to send my kids to school there. I'm going to have my kids take a bike and go to their friend's house. We don't know who's going to be in front of the building. So they're now pumping in. I I don't know about this, but I understand the frustration. Uh, they're pumping in loud. Uh, I guess, urgencies and and uh, remarks in five different languages, essentially saying get out in Staten Island. We don't want you here. And what they're saying, a lot of people are pulling up and they are just flat out leaving because they told they can come here and have no problem. What it is, is 300 cots in an area, one shower, one bathroom. Is that the type of life you want to lead? And the people in the neighborhood don't want any part of it. But that's what Joe Biden's America has done. We've never seen anything like this in our lives. So one hundred and three House Democrats join calls for President Biden to open up the immigration uh, playbook and do something different. But what they want, I think, is a mistake. They write to urge the administration to use all the twos available, including getting them the ability to temporarily get a job. If you do that, you're going to double the number instantly. Free job, free laundry, three meals, free hotel. Who wouldn't come here? In Chicago, a lawmaker is leading Democratic rebellion to bring ICE uh, together with cops, and start throwing people out. That is Alderman Raymond Lopez, who speaks a normal language and cares about the people he represents. He doesn't worry about his party. So that is some of the craziness that is happening right now with the border. And let's take a time out when we come back. Jackie Heinrich will update us on what's happening in Washington, including what Kevin McCarthy has told his caucus he's ready to do. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade
7: Show. Remember the famous song, you know, Good Morning, Vietnam? Well, good evening, Vietnam. The Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union show and so says, He's a lion, dog-faced, pony soldier. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. The third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, uh, the, the, uh, the southern hemisphere. Had access to change had access we, it, it wasn't confrontational at all..: the Thank Thank you, everybody. This
3: ends the press conference. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you.: uh, Jackie wasn't overseas, but she's at home uh, right now in Washington, dealing with the latest and covers of the White House. Uh, Jackie Heinrich joins us now. Jackie, these series of comments and the way he handled some of these speeches and his lack of availability to you guys has really created concern, it seems, among Democrats. And yet the White House is very defensive about it. How do you explain that?
11: Well, you know, Brian, this that series of clips you just played were really the the worst of that trip. And they were exactly the impression that you don't want to leave people with. You know, you're feeding into this sleepy Joe Biden um, shtick. You know, I'm going to bed, uh, getting cut off by the press secretary as he's finishing an answer to a question Um takes another question with the music playing. No one can even hear what's happening. Uh, Referring to the South Pacific as the third world, just it was not great. And then the the, uh, movie reference, you know, he's making a pop culture reference from 1952. It's 70 years old. So he's not exactly reaching out to the youth vote there. Um, On the other hand, you know, the G20 was held in India and Modi is averse to press interaction. I mean, he has not held a press conference Since he became prime minister nine years ago. And so he got around the pressure from the White House because in this case, finally, the White House did lobby on behalf of the American press for access because they weren't even going to allow the full pool in to all these events to witness what we normally get to see uh, at at a bare minimum. And um, Modi got around that by scheduling these bilats in his prime minister's residence. So we had really no availability of the president when he was at the G20. They arranged this press conference in Hanoi to make up for that. But the answers that he gave really did not help, you know, counter these poll numbers that show the latest one, Wall Street Journal, 73 percent of Americans think he's too old.
3: Yeah. And 51 to 40, they prefer Trump policies uh, in the Wall Street Journal over President Biden's policies, even though he keeps saying he's going to run on his uh, on binomics, on his economic record. Why do you think they're spending? I think it is twenty five million dollars for ads, 400 days plus until the election day.
11: So they have signaled that their entire campaign is going to be digital. Um, they are they, they believe that the president won Um by not going out and, and by campaigning in a different way. And the, the Democrats have calculated that they have a significant digital advantage. And so they're going to be pouring money into um, these ad campaigns, having surrogates uh, go to the airwaves, taking up you know accounts of local people who say that they were positively impacted by the president's policies and rolling them out. Um, in those local communities. It's, they're trying to do the grassroots thing without the president being directly on the ground um, and then pointing to the White House and saying, look, you have a leader here. You can watch him being president and hear all the examples and you know, the ways that people are benefiting. That's their plan. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that that they're pouring a lot of money into this. I mean, look no further than who they named as their campaign manager. Julie Chavez Rodriguez has never run a campaign in her life. And now she is running the president's reelection campaign. That's pretty incredible.
3: It is. But the message is we want his, the Hispanic vote back. They're getting extremely mm-hmm. concerned about it. I would I would venture to say that I know she's related to him, too. Julio Cesar uh, Chavez. Julio Cesar, Cesar. I'm thinking of the boxer. Cesar Chavez's bust is on his desk. And I think that's what Democrats weren't counting on. They were counting on the Hispanic vote growing. It's not necessarily growing uh, in their direction, don't you think?
11: It's not. Um, and I think that's why they're they're trying to really emphasize that although things are not great in this country economically, that we are the strongest economy in the world. You heard the president repeat that line again and again and again. Um, they have, though, a difficult time when you, you – Cross-reference the facts with some of the lines that the president says. You know, he's been fact-checked a number of times on this claim about reducing the deficit. Um, You know, they're they're continuing to spend money. Yes, inflation has come down. They like to point to a very very narrow window to make the argument that it's come down more than people are feeling that it's come down. Um, They can you know point to this big number and say, well, yeah, it's the last three months or whatever. But year to year, not things aren't great, and you can tell that by uh, voter sentiments, by spending habits. Um, it's they're up against um, a very steep hill with this one.
3: Very interesting. So if there was a situation where you thought there was moving behind the scenes that Joe Biden wouldn't run, Jackie, what would indicate, what would signs would you look for that maybe he's considering not running?
11: I would look for, well, it's, it's a complicated question because I, I think that they're already starting to do this, but I don't think that it necessarily means that the president's not going to run. I would look at them, Um, highlighting Kamala Harris and putting her in charge of more significant things. And I would look at uh, the Vice President taking more interviews and and being more available and trying to sort of repair her image in the media. Um, She is doing that. I don't necessarily know that that is anything to read into beyond a response to the concerns that they're seeing in these polls that the President would not survive a second term potentially and that there is a real chance that you would end up with a President Harris if Biden were to be re- reelected.
3: Yeah, I don't necessarily think it was her strongest interview uh, with uh, Margaret Brennan, who came really uh, very direct with her questions, uh, especially right. when it came to abortion and, and the border. I mean, her answers on the border were absolutely comically bad and because mm-hmm. she's responsible for the root causes. So the root well, causes, what have you done?
11: And the border side, I mean, the Democrats are trying to make this election all about abortion. They're trying to frame Republicans as, you know, MAGA extremists who are going to put your rights on the ballot. And um, they think this is a rematch of 2020 and 2022. And they think that they, you know, they know what they have to do and say. So if you're being asked about specifics, um, be prepared to. You know, list off some specifics, because if you don't have any policy, but you just have an idea, and that's really just to make the Republicans the boogeyman, um, you're going to lose independence. And you're going to you're going to certainly lose people who are independent thinkers, you know, critical thinkers um, when, you know, you see this post row world and right. the Democrats are making this, this whole argument that they can't really shake out.
3: Jackie, uh, we only have 40 seconds left, but what about this Iran deal?
11: unbelievable um unbelievable to know that it happened the no, congress was notified on 9-11 you see republican criticism coming in uh saying it desecrates 9-11 it's a ransom payment effectively and it's gonna you know go to it sponsored terrorism since 1986 um we don't yet know who the uh detainees are that we're returning the four iranians that we're giving back uh it'd be interesting to see what that happens with that but we haven't heard them speak about it yet
3: jackie heinrich You got your hands full. A lot lot going on there, but I know that's how you like it. Jackie, thanks so much.
11: Thanks,
3: Brian. All right. Uh, That's Jackie Heinrich from the White House. You're now updated. Back with your calls in just a moment. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, and then we'll go on with Stuart Varney. Don't move.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: Many people think you should resign as president. What are you going to do?
3: I love so much my daughters, um, and they they love me so so much. I, I'm very happy. And I'm very proud of them. Very very proud of them. They are very near to me. About my resignation, yes, I'm going to do. I'm going to, going to yeah i 'm going to, yes, because I cannot continue my work. This is uh, more a question of not only me, and then an attitude of, an attitude of me can affect third parties very important, and this is the in this situation now, uh, the more intelligent and the thing I have to do so that is the president of Spanish soccer whose women 's team won the World Cup, Luis Robales. And uh, talking to Pierce Morgan exclusively, says he's going to resign, the former Spanish football president now, uh, because of the kiss he gave on the lips to a, a female player after she won the World Cup. She felt as though uh, it, was, it was wrong. I mean, obviously it was wrong. But was it a predator move? Was it something that should get you fired? What do you think, Allison? When you watched it, we, we, we have, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, can you imagine the commissioner of the NBA kissing the winner, the MVP of the WNBA in the finals?
1: I haven't seen the video of it. I've seen the, like, just pictures of it. However, my question is, how cultural is that? You know what I mean? Do the Spanish, like... Spanish are
3: much more... He he says, I kiss everybody. So,
1: like, I don't... That's where I say, like, looking at that through, like, an American lens, I don't know if that's what they do or not. I mean, clearly, you know, the woman didn't appreciate it, but did she sort of just use that as an excuse? Like, if it wasn't on camera in that forum, would it have been such a big deal?
3: Now they want equal pay like the U.S.? Uh, so now they want equal pay. And it's not a matter of equal pay for the equal job. The problem is one makes $150 million. The other one makes $6 billion. That's why the pay is more for the men. And they've been around since 1930 as opposed to one since 1990. That's just the way it is. But they just they hate to throw out. They want you to throw out math and capital principles. So let's just equal the playing field. So that's what they're going for. They're looking to build on that. But he's done. It's it's an interesting story, but it has overwhelmed that Spain won the World Cup, which is unbelievable, you know. So
1: it's you have to wonder if her teammates then appreciate that because they finally win the World Cup, and this is what we're talking about.
3: Interesting. Uh, so we'll talk about that. The other thing happened last night. I couldn't believe it. I don't think anyone has to tell you out there that the Jets aren't losers, but they don't win the Super Bowl. They haven't won it since before we walked on the moon, 1969. Joe Namath. They haven't been back since they got two championship game berths, maybe three, besides that they've had years and they were good, but never great and Then they have a great defense they fail at the end of last year, barely missed the playoffs, and they aired Aaron Rodgers, best one of the best quarterbacks of his generation of any generation, maybe top five ever at thirty nine years old, two years removed for an mVP season. And immediately he takes to this team. You see him at the U.S. Open. You see him at the front row of the Nick games. You see him at the Yankee games. You see him at Taylor Swift's concerts. He totally falls into place with New York. I forgot where he went. Oh, yeah, he was at the U.S. Open with um, Djokovic because he and Djokovic famously both said, I'm not getting the vaccine, and took a lot of guff because of it. So he, if you watch Hard Knocks, has totally uh, taken over this team. Coaches love him. The players love him. Uh, The quarterback that was starting there, um, you have uh, Zach Wilson. He was starting, second pick overall, no problem going to the backup, learning from the guy, four plays in. This is what happens, cut 30.
2: Protection breaks down, and time runs out. Down goes Rodgers in the sack for Leonard Floyd. The former first-round pick of the Bears, and now Rodgers sits down. A loss of 10 on the play, and hopefully... The Jets are thinking that's the only loss on
3: that play. And he's coming out of the game. Unbelievable. And i tell you, even people are writing this, and evidently the Jets had a target on their back because they got so much publicity. But they have the rookie of the year on defense, the rookie of the year on offense. So they do have some promise. And they got this great coach who's got a lot of charisma. And they are in New York. So everyone's kind of a target. But now after this, People were just befuddled. I watched the Mont Manning cast. You see Pete and Eli. And they know him well. And they played against him multiple times. Both success and failure when he was with the Packers. They couldn't believe what they were watching. The Jets, who seemed to be a cursed franchise, went on to win dramatically in overtime against the Bills. But here's the head coach after the game, Robert Sala. Cut 31.
12: I'll uh, deal with the quarterback real quick. Concerned with his Achilles. Uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen. So prayers tonight. But it's not good.
3: Yeah, it's not good. And it looks like it's torn. And if it's torn, as was brought up uh, some experts, they've had elite athletes come back in five months. That would have them miss the season. But if you're 39 years old, you get that Achilles reattached. Is it playing with fire not to have him for next year? If you bring him back early to try to save this year. And if they are in the playoffs, it'll be with another quarterback, and you just rip that guy out and put him in. Unbelievable that they won. Shocking that Rodgers went down. Ron, listen on WABC on Long Island. Hey, Ron.
0: Hi, how are you?
3: Good. What's on your so- mind?
0: So I've been hearing, and I think we all know that words are important, uh, the words that we use. um, And I've noticed that in the – in respect of um, uh, uh, regarding the illegal uh, immigrants issue, um, if you notice, everyone on TV, radio are calling it uh, a problem, a problem, the immigrant problem. But a problem says there's something that – That's a problem that needs to be fixed Uh, and and that, uh, you know, there's just a problem. But this is not a problem. This is one person who is allowing people to come over the border. And this is more like a crime in progress than just a problem. A problem means something we all got to help and fix this problem. No, we're not part of this. We are the public who has been made to eat something that we don't want, and it's like a crime in progress, and that's what we should, the nomenclature should be changed from problem to a crime in progress, uh, a crime against the country.
3: It's a a man-made disaster. A man-made disaster hurting your own people, your own team. It's killing them. It's killing us as a country, but hurting your own team. Here's Eric Adams, Cut 16.
5: I have to be honest with New Yorkers on what we're about to experience, a financial uh, typhoon, a tsunami uh, that I don't think this city has ever experienced. They're going to use terminologies to define the reality of, that I'm facing. This is not an academic exercise. This yeah. is not a utopia.
3: So he has asked everybody to take a 5% pay cut. And when you go up to the cops and you say that, and the firefighters say, excuse me, Uh Let's say you're in your 30s and you're going to retire at 40, been put 20 years in. They take you for the last five years, and that's your pensionable salary the rest of your life. You're going to take that overtime away from me? I'm out. I'm out. I'll take my – whatever I got, I'm going, to, I'm going to take it away. So we are down thousands of officers. You're going to cut that back? You're going to cut less police officers, less correction officers? Now, if he wanted to, yeah, I like that he's calling out, the White House, but call out Joe Biden specifically, number one. Number two, Joe Biden has shown no respect for this state of New York. He wouldn't even see his gov- his left-wing governor, Governor Hoakley, stuck him with the chief of staff. Maybe because he doesn't even know the issue. And then lastly, you make statements. I have a big speech tonight. I want everybody to carry it locally and nationally. We would carry it, Fox. And in that speech, you get rid of the right to shelter. In that speech— You call for the end of the sanctuary city status and you put pressure on the lawmakers that don't go for that and say you're directly responsible for the chaos going on in over 200 facilities across this across this state and over 100,000. That's what I would do. Sarah Carter was on with Sean Hannity last night and he talks about what parents in New York City think about all these illegals now flooding the schools to the tune of 21,000. Cut 19.
1: And this is what parents are saying. They're saying, let's nip this in the bud now. Let's take a look at this. Let's try to resolve this crisis. But the problem is, they say Mayor Eric Adams, Governor Hochul, they're focused on Governor Greg Abbott. They're focused on Texas and whether or not, you know, people are coming from Texas or from other states and being sent to New York City. Right now, it's at a rate of about 10 thousand illegal migrants a month coming into new york where they need to put the focus on parents are saying is president biden and the biden administration which has an open borders policy
3: yeah no question people are outraged if your kid can't get into school in long island city imagine line up first day kids are so excited about going to school they got a teacher brand new backpack and they stand up and you take a day off to get them in, and you can't get them into the school because they're so busy registering these new kids from other countries who speak other languages. Yeah, I mean, I'll give me your huddled masses in an organized way. Even if it's through the chaos of Ellis Island, and I've done features on it on Fox Nation. They were still organized at Ellis Island. They could have put, uh, went through some scrutiny, a little bit more scrutiny, but they still. You got a relative here? Where are they? Can I see them? You can get through. You got cholera? You're not getting through. Go upstairs until you're better, then come back down. But I would take that over this. Especially, you know what it's like if you try to send your kids to school without any vaccines? They don't get in. These kids get in.
2: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Yeah, in a matter of moments, I'm going to go on uh, FBN, one of the fastest growing uh, cable networks in the country. Uh, That'll be the place where you will find the next debate. We've got 13 million at the last debate. Think about that. 13 million. Uh, we're going to be discussing with Stuart Varney some of the bizarre things the president of the United States is saying, which I think matters. And then we'll take some phone calls at the back end. We've got about six up there. And we usually Stuart leaves me about two or three minutes at the top of the hour to take calls. So don't want to hang up now, even though we're doing a simulcast. Would you get a chance to see my setup in here? So let me listen in.
9: 1051. Brian Kilmeade joins me. Brian, as you know. Yesterday, President Biden claimed he was at Ground Zero the day after the 9-11 terror attacks. Watch this again, please. Roll it.
7: When evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell.
9: You know, Brian, by constantly raising this type of story... We could be accused, I certainly could be accused, of piling on. What do you think? Well, it's just too
3: important not to. I yeah, mean, I if, if we just look up stuff in his background and say, I got a problem with you said in 1998 and 2008, yeah, okay, guys. It would be like, why are you going so extensively into it? But he just said it. He invited it. I was there the next day. So it invites everybody to, I didn't know that. Can you check that out? No, it was two weeks. And you might come back and say, well, it was kind of a blur back then. Well, why say it? I was there soon after is what an experienced politician said who's been doing this since 1973, you would think. And it's very important because on 9-11, he made it a story. He made it a story because he chose to do two days in Hanoi, Vietnam. He chose not to go to the previous summit and still stayed home. He took multiple of leaving Friday at 12 noon and coming back Monday at 12 noon, where if Vietnam meant so much, he could have went there and came back. But instead, he said, I'm, "I'll just do Alaska. Four o'clock in the afternoon on nine eleven. Who cares? Twenty-two years doesn't stand out. Oh, if they have a problem, I'll point out that this many years—twenty-two years after Pearl Harbor—we didn't really do much. Well, number one it was multiple attacks right in major cities, the resulting and in launched a war that we're still experiencing." The residue from in 1963 was the assassination of JFK. It was the Martin Luther King and the rise of civil rights and the rise of the Vietnam War. There was a lot going on. This is a guy that wants to win re-election. Why would you stiff arm or give the Heisman to those families or people that care or were affected? You know why? Because Afghanistan was the result of that war and the way we left. And number two, the Saudi Arabia meeting where Saudi Arabia and uh, India, he sets up and decides to shake his hand it's, it's of inter- the pariahs.
9: We've got to cover it. You, you can't ignore it. You've you got to cover this stuff. I want to talk to you about the star quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, injured just four snaps into his big New York Jets debut. Jim Gray, Fox uh, Sports, he says this may not be a career-ending injury. Watch this, please, Brian. Roll it. Robert Sala, the head coach uh, of the New York Jets, just told the media that it doesn't look good that it's an Achilles injury uh, for Aaron Rodgers. So uh, that's very sad news. We don't know if it's torn. Uh, We'll know more tomorrow after the MRI. It's not career-ending, but it's going to be difficult if, in fact, this is the case. But, Brian, any way you slice it, this is a disaster uh, for Aaron Rodgers, for the fans, and for the Jets.
3: Rodgers can come back off a torn Achilles, even at 39 years old. Remember, uh, E.Y. Manning was playing uh, past that age, and Tom Brady just walked off the field on his own volition, uninjured. It was a freak injury. It makes no sense in his career plan. This guy's played through more pain and injuries. He almost never leaves the field. So it's just said the same old Jets. That was the feeling. 83,000 run out. He runs out with the American flag. The crowd's going crazy. It was a bigger crowd in the Super Bowl. Taking on the dreaded uh, Buffalo Bills. Ultra talented And in the end, four plays, matches his four MVPs, he is done as a Jet. Excuse me. For now. But... Let's find out if it's torn. Let's find out if it's ruptured. Let's see if it came away from the ankle. And let's get our MRI and get the results today. But the Jets came back and won.
9: but, But before that injury, weren't the Jets considered Super Bowl contenders, even though it's right at the start of the season? Yes. And all I can tell you is,
3: even if you're a mild sports fan, watch Hard Knocks on HBO this year. They go inside how special this coach is, this coaching staff is, how this team's been tortured since 1969. Remember, first time we walked on the moon, the Jets win the Super Bowl. We haven't been back to the moon in a few years, and Jets haven't been back to the Super Bowl. And now they got a shot with one of the greatest quarterbacks ever who wants to be there and wants to redeem himself in the public eye because of the whole vaccine controversy. It was the perfect storm of great things, and now it's not a disaster. disaster. They got too much talent to drop.
9: What a what a shame it happened, uh, right. Brian. Thanks a lot, man. I've got to leave you, but we'll see you soon. Okay. Here's
3: one... Uh, okay one eight six six yeah 7669 You know it's true, and there's Stuart Varney who loves soccer talking about American football because it transcends. It's all everybody was talking about today. John, listen, WABC. Hey, John
0: morning brian how are you i just wanted to touch on a point you made about mayor adams in new york city new york city has dozens and dozens and dozens of problems that have nothing to do with illegal immigration that we're going to bring the city down anyway not to mention the fact that there's a corporate real estate bust about to happen yep. what's the center for real estate in new york city so i think eric adams is actually doing a brilliant job of masking all the problems that him and his predecessor created and masking them all with the illegal immigration it's, it's it's a brilliant Good point. move on his part, but it's disgusting and detrimental to the city.
3: I know. I think this is the number one problem, and it's everywhere. John, do you walk around the city? I do. So do you see what's going on outside these hotels?
0: I've been working in the city since 96, and what I've seen over the last couple of years is just crazy. It's, right. It's really
3: I, I mean, mind
0: boggling, to be totally honest, it's become a dangerous place, in New York City, and it wasn't for a long, long time.
3: And look, the you know, we, I, you know, I see a five year old kid holding his uh, dad's hand walking to school, even though they're from Venezuela and they don't belong here. I have compassion for the kid who's just excited about going to school. I have no resentment. But why are all these single males in their 20s and 30s coming here claiming refugee status? You don't need help. You just want to come here. That's not a good enough reason. No other country would allow that. None. Try that in China. Try that in Russia. Try that in France. Goodbye. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're listening. Don't forget, One Nation's coming up in just a few days. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Don't move.
2: Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm pretty sure I remember that I should be speaking right about now. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, Final hour of this show. Thanks so much for being here. Kellyanne Conway is is queuing up, and Gary Myers at the bottom of the hour. He's going to be going over not only... Uh, first week in the NFL, he's got this great giant book out. Giants who were just crushed on uh, Sunday night. But the Jets, people really feel bad for him, and especially for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, goes down four plays in. We'll get that. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. A
6: shutdown is a consequence of a government not actually doing its job. Right. That's the, that's the reality of what we're trying to deal with right now. If there's going to be a shutdown, it's because Joe Biden refuses to do the job that he is supposed to do.
3: That is what Republicans think. And that's certainly what Chip Roy thinks. Are we looking at a shutdown? Are we looking at impeachment? A C.R. Congress is back and they have just a couple of weeks to get some major decisions done.
5: Number two. I have to be honest with New Yorkers on what we're about to experience, a financial uh, typhoon, a tsunami uh, that I don't think this city has ever experienced. This is not an academic exercise. This is not a utopia.
3: Uh, That is Mayor Eric Adams. Awful. That's the state of our border. So bad almost every city is suffering, especially New York, the most affected. It's about to make an extreme. They're about to make an extreme move. And now a cutting 5% from every department across the board including cops and firefighters, which means they're rushing for the
7: exits.
0: Number one.
7: When evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell.
3: Really? The problem is, it's not true. Biden bungles. Too frequent, too bizarre to ignore, even for Democrats. He seems lost in the fictional thought, his fictional thoughts, and even his own party is beginning to panic as he pays off Iran, avoids attack sites in, on 9-11, and spins out these stories that make no sense and aren't true. Uh, joining us now is Kellyanne Conway. Uh, Kellyanne, they're spending $25 million, the Democrats are, right now on ads. They only would be doing that if they're getting panicky about Joe Biden. Do you agree?
4: Are very panicky the polls don't lie everybody's polls new york times cbs fox you name it say the same thing brian that there's no good news for joe biden i literally have never seen all bad news for any single president of either party um in my 30 plus polling career or your career now why is that because if a president's approval rating has been low sometimes they've been able to at least leverage some of the personal attributes. Folks think that they're trying hard or they care about people like them, they have a plan, they inspire confidence. The personal attributes, the approval ratings overall, the approval ratings on each major issue, the electability of Joe Biden, quote, unquote, he's, he's losing to every single Republican candidate tested except Naveik, um, who of course could beat him, and he was tied with Ron DeSantis in the latest Fox News poll. There's no good news for Joe Biden. And I think the worst of all, is that m- much of the negativity is coming from within his own party. So this New York Times article yesterday I thought was very sloppy. It came from a fairly decent reporter, very sloppy. It basically said that Biden's rivals and opponents seized on his age and, uh, because he seemed tired and he was saying crazy things in Alaska. First of all, it's crazy that it was in Alaska and, not, and the first president of either party in 22 years to not visit any of the 9-11 sites, pretty easy trip to go from the White House to the Pentagon, pal. Pretty simple to fly up to New York to ground zero. Pretty simple to go to Shanksville. We know this because we all understand geography and the impact of 9-11, but we know this because three presidents were doing that for 22 years. So I think that the most devastating thing going on for Joe Biden right now, Brian, is what I call a tripartisan rejection of him as president. It's a majority of Republicans, a majority of independents, and yes, folks, a majority of Democrats. So, and you, you made a very important point. The lies he tells, the approval of the lies, where he was on 9-11, he was United States Senator. All he has to say is, all his office has to say, his office, the White House has to say is, you know what, he's been to so many of these ceremonies. He has reached out to so many veterans, active military, 9-11 families. That he misremembered the year that he was at Ground Zero. It's all that to say. Instead, they make everybody else seem stupid. That we don't, we don't know. We're looking at a schedule from nine, from nine twelve, oh one, and we see he was in Washington. By the way, most United States senators were in Washington. The Pentagon had been hit. You, nobody was allowed to go anywhere. So it's just complete nonsense. Just, just walk it back. Everybody's human; and makes mistakes. Brian, fi- final point on all this about Joe Biden for me. I know it's very simple and easy and fun to make fun of his mumbling, his bumbling, his stumbling. I want Americans to start listening to the specific words Joe Biden uses, because they're dangerous. He said in Alaska, essentially, Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are a bigger threat than the terrorists who took down the towers. Come on. Uh, he he says, he says crazy things, like he was, you know, he, the Amtrak story, the 9-11 story. Uh, uh, see what he did over Afghanistan. So- he just says these things that just make absolutely no sense to anyone. And they're not gaffes. They're not him misspeaking. They're not his quote, opponents and political rivals making fun of his age. It's actually reflected in all the polls. Most Americans feel exactly this way.
3: Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and what you're referring to is the fact that he showed up, according to our brain room, the earliest date that he could possibly have been at ground zero was September 20th. Uh, On the 12th, he was at the Capitol building. The other thing is the movie reference made no sense, and it was the wrong movie. And then he said, Mm -hmm. good morning, Vietnam. I love that song. It was a movie by Robin Williams. There was no song. So what are you even talking about? And then his decision on, on a tactical move, It's not to say that, that China is the reason that he's going to Hanoi. China is the reason he's going to Saudi Arabia and India. And that was right. the focus on the G20. Just tell the American people what the problem is and what you're doing about it. Instead, he's doing a bunch of things. And all of a sudden, we like, don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. I'm not enemies of China. Excuse me. We are enemies with China. They are hacking into our government officials' email. They are trying to infiltrate our uh, our, our border. They are having a. They are knocking off our destroyers and trying to interdict uh, our planes. They are allowing Russia to get dual-use weapons, washing machine chips that also work on their weapons, allowing North Korea to pass through, North Korean leader to pass through. So they're doing all these things. Why are we pretending not to? The question to you, Kellyanne, is you know the machine of the White House. Is Joe Biden solely going to determine whether he runs or not? Can anyone trump Joe Biden and the Democratic Party if he wants to run?
4: I don't think so. I think it's very hard to dislodge a sitting president, particularly one that you're lying for. I mean, Joe Biden has made has forced reasonable men and women in the Democratic Party and on his task a lie for him, to, to constantly pretend that we don't know what our two eyes are telling us. Essentially, their entire ethos is, believe what I say, not what you see. Whether it's 7 million people coming across the border, Putin in Ukraine, not to, In 2022, not to be confused with Putin annexing a sovereign nation, Crimea, in 2014 when Joe Biden was also in the White House. Nothing to see with gas prices, with grocery prices, nothing to see with crime on the, on the rise everywhere. He, he, they, they literally just think that if they tell us something is true and they just say they scream Trump five times per a 10-word sentence, everything will be fine. I think there's something else going on here, Brian. Um, well, two big things. One is if Kamala Harris were even remotely competent, if she showed up to do her job in the state. Today's another day. I calculate them, I have them all. Today's another day. It says, quote, Vice President Harris has nothing on her public schedule. Unbelievable. Really? Nothing? So she, she works for us, Brian. She has nothing on her public schedule. Most weekends look like that, by the way. I have them all tallied up. Beware, everyone. Secondly, if she were, it's because they can't replace him with her, none of those other Democrats want to be seen as the person who knocked out the woman of color for the top perch. It's very, very simple. I think the Gavin Newsom's of the world and some of these other folks, the Gretchen Whitmer's, they're not running because they just want, you know what, let Biden and Harris run. If they lose, then we'll we'll run against Harris next time and beat her, obviously, the Democrats are thinking. Or if they win, then we'll do what we can to support them, but that doesn't guarantee Harris an uncontested nomination to the presidency. Then I think they'll come forward and
3: compete. Very interesting. So Donald Trump, from my point of view, I know he had a rally Saturday, but he seems kind of calculated. He's doing fundraisers. I understand the court distraction. And he puts out truth social videos. Is yeah. this the intentional game plan or is there something else that maybe our audience could, lear- could learn from what he's been up to?
4: It's very intentional. And everybody sees where he is and what he's thinking. I personally love pol- – I'm a policy geek – So I love the policy videos he puts out. He essentially is saying to the country that, without saying it, that most presidential candidates, pretty much all presidential candidates in the past, have said, here's what I'm going to do. I promise to do X. My platform is Y. You can trust me to get Z done. He's in a unique position, Brian, to say, okay, but here's what I did do. If you want to know what I will do, just look at what I did do. And he's reminding everybody through these policy, uh, policy videos for free what he did as president and what he would do. And it puts him against Joe Biden, somewhere that DeSantis should have transported himself immediately starting last November when he was riding high. Uh, And so Trump is making you think about his policies versus Biden's policy. The other thing is the guy loves rallies, but they're so expensive. And they're particularly expensive now that he has to pay for the extra security. Secret Service, obviously, is involved forevermore. So I don't think there is worthwhile dollar for dollar as some of these other investments that he's making. The other thing that um, you said the audience can learn something here. I'm sure they know it because they're so savvy and you tell them every day. But guess what, Brian? Here's what we all need to remember that's diff- almost impossible to see in, in, on a day-to-day basis. Trump has an excellent, probably the best delegate program going on among, among any of the Republican presidential candidates. And that's how you win. He, he took that rough lesson from 2016 where he was winning these primaries and then all of a sudden, Ted Cruz's team was swooping in and taking some of the delegates and said, whoa. And that's actually how he hired a, a, a guy who was known as like a delegate expert from way back when. But that's the name of the game here. It doesn't matter who the media say can win or the donors want to support. This is how you win. Ask Hillary Clinton. Ask Al Gore. You win by um, by getting enough delegates. And I love to say politics is not about Biology. It's not even about chemistry. It's about math and science. It's a cold, clinical, calculated game in terms of getting more than the others do. Now, the way you get there is to be warm, is to be accessible, is to be smart, is to be strategic, is in his case to say, here's what I did um, and here's what I will do. But um, he's not hiding from anybody. I think, look, I would love to see him on the debate stage. I believe in direct democracy. I think it's a better conversation if he's there and he's the front runner. However, I understand why they're not doing that. He's not being he's not being a coward. He's, he's being a front runner.
3: Right. Uh, and and there, the word is he believe, a lot of people think he'll be in Alabama. Do you think so? That'll be the third debate.
4: A better chance of that happening. Yes, that'll be the third debate. I know that the dates are still in flux. Um, sure. Why not? It's a state that I mean, I, I think at that point, um, first of all, I think he does need to get on that stage to correct the record for some of these people. Let's just remind everybody, nobody on TV, including on a debate, is under oath. I personally heard some things that are not true in the first debate, and he's the guy who could probably correct right. the record. And just so everybody knows, I'm unaffiliated. I'm a Fox News contributor. I have promised Fox not to work on a presidential race, but I, I know what I know. I don't know a billion things in this world. This is what I know. Um, some people are not being honest about their relationship with him, about what they gained from his presidency and would not have had, had he not been president. And if he were on that stage, Brian Kilmeade, he'd be setting that record straight right away.
3: So, Kellyanne, uh, listen to the question as well as the answer to Kamala Harris. Cut 14.
8: Are you taking the threat of a second Trump presidency seriously enough? I don't understand the question. You were dismissive of some of the Republican criticism of you and the president. When you look at current polling... The front-runner for a Republican nomination is the former president, the 45th president.
5: We so will win the election we will, will win.
8: Win. we will win re-election. There is too much at stake in mean, the yeah, American people know.
10: It.
3: So what's your reaction to the way it was done? Are you th- taking the threat of a second Trump presidency seriously enough? I never heard of something posed like that.
4: Yeah, no. Well, I mean, commonly would think of it as a threat. And Margaret Brennan assumed that Kamala would think it was a threat, and she didn't, She said, I don't understand the question. Look, I thought that was one of the better interviews she was Kamala great, Harris from, from a reporter. But Margaret instead of just saying, can you beat
3: Trump way. again, a threat, the threat.
4: The threat. Yeah, you know, I know, but Kamala doesn't have a good answer for anything. Later in that interview, your viewers should watch—excuse me, listeners and viewers, Brian, should watch the entire interview. She, was, Kamala was asked by Margaret Brennan of CBS. Well, really, what is your position on abortion? What about restrictions? Weeks, months, like you know what she basically is asking her the the inverse of what all pro lifers like mayor asked, which are what are your exceptions, what are your exceptions? And I like to say, I'll show you my exceptions if you show me yours first. Nobody ever asks the Democrats. In in, in Kamala's home state of California, it's thirty nine weeks. In New York it's thirty nine weeks, Illinois, Colorado thirty nine weeks. Are you kidding? So she couldn't. And she doesn't want to say that. that. She doesn't want to say it because everybody knows babies are being born at 22 and 23 weeks. They're waving back at mom and dad. You know you're pregnant. You know the sex of the baby. You can see it's limbs. It's heartbeat. It's, or, you know, if it's a boy or a girl. If um at 15 weeks where a lot of Republicans are pushing for a federal minimum standard, the states can still do what they want. But why in the world? So she's got no good answer for that. And she's dangerously veering into Hillary Clinton territory from 2016, when at that final debate in Las Vegas, October 19, 2016, Trump basically looked at her and said, you're the extremist on abortion, Hillary. You would rip that baby out of its mother's womb an hour before it's born. Now, it took a true convert, a male Manhattan billionaire in real estate out of politics for whom most of his adult life had been pro-choice. She'd be known as pro-life president of all. I don't think Kamala, the abortions are, the borders are, the voting rights are. They keep giving her Russian titles for doing me at absolutely nothing. Right. I don't think she uh, – if she can't get this issue right, where the Democrats do have an advantage, where it costs uh, – the inability to articulate it by the Republicans in, in 2022 cost them seats. I mean, she can't get that right. She's useless. Right. I think anybody can beat her on the debate stage.
3: Yeah, and I just want you to hear this question. Don't you have to play the answer, Eric? Just real quick. Cut 15.
6: I think another four years of Donald Trump will break us.
3: That's it. Chuck Todd, break us. Your response real quick?
4: Oh, it's so funny. Well, he's broken. He just lost his job and Meet the Press to Kristen Walker, who was one of the hardest working reporters at the White House beat when I was there. And uh, did a really great job in that debate with Biden and Trump. And especially the third debate, was the second debate. Gotcha. So I think that that's going to be looking up. But you know, it's it's funny that you say it because it is it yeah. is these subtle words. And again, I want your I want your Kelly viewers and, and listeners, Brian, to go and look at that New York Times article by Michael Shear yesterday. He talks about
3: the rivals. He gotcha. Doesn't talk about the- All right, Kellyanne Conway, Brian Kilmeade, Show. don't move.
2: You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back. I went over the one with Kelly But really interesting stuff, right, inside the, the Trump campaign without being inside the Trump campaign. I'll give you an idea what's going on. And I didn't even realize that rallies are expensive. I never thought about it. Because you just show up to an arena. I guess it takes rent. But I don't know. So I just thought with the campaign. But you know what? He's got a lot of legal fees. A ton of them. And I'm not saying he can't afford it, but that, and between the five million he's got to go give this woman who accused him in New York, and then the additional money after he the uh, court ruled that he did defame her, I'm sure he's going to appeal that. And then you got to worry about getting ready after a seven-hour deposition with Letitia James in New York. And then you got to wonder when you're going to have to sit down in Georgia. That looks like it's going to be first. Well, what an unwieldy mess. That is, as he tried to move the judge. All right, when we come back, we talk a little football. The devastating news last night that happened to the Jets and the league. Brian Kilmeade here.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Protection breaks down and time runs out. Down goes Rodgers in the sack for Leonard Floyd. The former first-round pick of the Bears, and now Rodgers sits down. A loss of 10 on the play, and hopefully the Jets are thinking that's the only loss on that play. He's coming out of the game.
3: And that was Joe Buck last night. It wasn't the Manning cast. Uh, It was Joe Buck last night, and he couldn't believe it. Four plays in, Aaron Rodgers is down. With me right now is one of the NFL's premier reporters, Hall of Famer. Uh, he does more than anybody else, especially in the New York area. Uh, columnist for the New York Daily News, Dallas Morning News, and best-selling author. His latest book is Once a Giant, a Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football. Gary Myers, welcome. Brian, how you doing? haven't seen you for a while. I know. Less than 24 hours, 12 hours ago, Aaron Rodgers took the field. He ran at MetLife Stadium, brand new turf, uh, to 83,000 screaming fans with the flag in his hand. And in your lifetime... Have you ever remembered Jet fans so optimistic, so pumped up for such a good reason?
12: Well, it's been a while at least. I do remember in 1999 when uh, Bill Parcells was in his third year as Jets coach. They were coming off an AFC Championship game appearance. He loaded up in the offseason. Vinny Trestoverti had had a great year in 98. It was Super Bowl bust for the Jets, and Vinny blew out his Achilles in the second quarter of the first game. And I I, was at that game, I was there last night, and it's the same silence, like, oh my God, the season just ended. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, embraced being in New York. I don't remember Jet fans ever being so excited for a season. The expectations have been as high in previous years, but just how one guy changed everything about that organization, and like you said, on his fourth snap as a Jet, before he even completed his first pass... He's done, and tearing your Achilles when you're about to be 40 years old is a very difficult rehab. And, I mean, I don't know anything about the future, but I would have to think it's at least in doubt whether he'll be back next year.
3: Wow. Uh, So here's uh, what his coach said after the game.
12: I'll uh, deal with the quarterback real quick. Concerned with his Achilles. Uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen. So prayers tonight, but it's not good.
3: It was pointed out that Kobe Bryant came back from this uh, and maybe, you know, this is another elite athlete. We'll see if he can do it. I mean, do you think the will is there? Have you had a chance to talk to him since he
7: got in the Jets?
12: No, I, I haven't been out there to talk to him. But, yeah, I think the will will be there. The question is whether the body is cooperative. I, mean, I don't know how old Kobe was when he tore his Achilles. I remember when that happened. But, I mean, this is the guy's going to be 40 years old. And there's a reason quarterbacks, other than not named Tom Brady, um, have not been successful in the NFL through its history when they get to this age because at some point the body's just not cooperative. Uh, Aaron it was talking very recently about maybe playing five more years, and it's all with the asterisk, could he stay healthy? People were asking me, how are the Jets going to do this year? I said, I think there could be a Super Bowl team as long as the quarterback stays healthy. Right. And, you know, I think you can say that about a lot of, of the really good teams – that their season ends if they lose their quarterback. And that's pretty much what happened to so, the Jets. So
3: you even brought this up. What about Tom Brady coming back? You know, he took a year off from Fox. He said, I'm not going to come right yeah. back. I'm buying a few teams, some soccer teams, some basketball teams.
12: Well, he's got a very small interest in the Las Vegas Raiders. And so the I think NFL owners would have to vote on whether or not a guy can like put his ownership aside and go play for another team. It's a complicated situation, but let's say it all works out. And Let's say he comes here, and let's say the Jets win the Super Bowl. I would think I, I, this is, you know, maybe a slight exaggeration, but not much. I think it would be one of the greatest stories in the history of sports in any sport at any time if Tom Brady comes to the New York Jets, ends the fifty-year-plus drought. Of the Jets not winning a Super Bowl after having played for the hated Patriots all those years, and he, now he happens to love New York. I know that for sure. Um, Doesn't he live here? I, I he's might
3: have sold his apartment since he got divorced. Yeah,
12: he might have. But he's had several apartments in New York. He used to spend a lot of his off time in New York, even when he was in New uh-huh. England playing. What a great story that would be. All right. So Probably talk, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, let's talk,
3: uh, let's talk about your story, Gary Myers. It's show sure. once a giant. What prompted it? I know you've been there every step of the way, in the locker room, out of the locker room, the Stray the Seahorn years, uh, maybe the John Mendenhall years. Yeah, Who knows?
12: yeah.
3: Uh, but you'd have that, you bring that to today. But instead of looking at this giant team, you look at the past players. What did you discover, and what prompted you to go find out where they're at?
12: Well, I, I, Brian, I always wanted to write a New York book. Uh, my first five books had nothing to do with the New York team. And I've been really intrigued by the whole life after football aspect. Uh, you know, and CTE has been a lot written about that, obviously, for the last 10 years, but it goes so much deeper with, than that. The challenges that these guys face when they get in their 50s and their 60s, the mental health issues, the physical issues, the financial issues, the emotional issues. Um, this Giants 86 team was revered. Here in New York, it's one of the three or four best teams of the Super Bowl era. And they were exactly the age group I wanted to write about. And I already knew a lot of these players beforehand. And I I will say this. The stories that I uncovered in this book in the research that I had no idea about just blew me away. Very poignant, a lot of them heartbreaking, some of them heartwarming stories of players, five players on the record telling me they considered suicide as a result of – the impact of playing in the NFL—it's um, just—it's a—it's such an important issue for players of today and tomorrow, yesterday, whatever. And although it's about a New York team, this could be about any team from that time period, Brian. They're all going through this because that's what football does to you.
3: Yeah, right. It, it's physical, and it's also—you're not as rich. People see up all these big well, money from, from that those. era. Yeah, yeah. So here is Bill Parcells, who you talk to. Uh, maybe the greatest coach of my generation who's also giving uh, giving opportunities to other great coaches. Uh, cut 36.
7: I walked down to the defense, and I grabbed the week's 55-gallon plastic barrel we had with the tape and the orange juice and the Gatorade bottles and everything that was in there for the week. And I pulled it out, and I started dumping it on top of these guys. And I said, you guys belong here with the rest of this and then I threw the barrel off the back wall of the meeting room, and I left. <laughs> he is such a baby. I, uh, he pouts I every.
2: Mean, he pouts all the time. He pouts, 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 pouts. I mean, at that season, he's always pouting. Stop pouting, man. We're gonna win.
6: Let's go. Now I'm quite sure Bill through garbage. He ain't throwing it in my direction.
3: So that was Bill Parcells talking about the 9 team. He knew what the defense was capable of. They weren't doing it. And he said, through uh, garbage everywhere. And that was Lawrence Taylor. After <laughs> they, they
12: have just a, a wonderful relationship. In fact, Lawrence, uh, when I interviewed him, said that Bill was his best friend on the team when he played. And uh, to this day, they've remained very close. And, and Bill has tried to be there for Lawrence every step of the way as he's battled uh, – Financial. In and out of trouble, yeah.
3: In out of trouble, big time.
12: Yeah, uh, Bill gets very upset when people say that he enabled Lawrence, knowing he had drug problems while he played for him, just because he wanted to keep him on the field. But what people don't know is, is, is Bill was instrumental in helping get Lawrence into drug rehab centers. But you know, the bottom line to that is, an addict is an addict, and unless he wants to be right. helped, it's very hard to get him. Would help.
3: you point out that Bill Parcells has helped financially a lot of his players, right?
12: He he told me that uh, over the course of a number of years now that he's uh, given about four million dollars total to about twenty different players, and whether they pay him back or not, he's not expecting it. It's not important to him. Uh, he just feels that uh, he has put away money for the rest of his life. He's given money to his kids, and these guys sacrifice so much for him physically. And now if they're having issues, whether it's, you know, paying a mortgage or health issues where they need money to pay doctors or mortgage payments or whatever, that um, that he wants to be there for them.
3: Here's Bill Belichick, famous, maybe the greatest defensive coordinator ever, and mm-hmm. some say the greatest head coach ever. Bill Parcells would give it to him. Mm-hmm. Here's, uh, and they've had a interesting relationship that yeah. you want to expand on. But here's Belichick talking about the Giants, cut 44.
2: You know, I was just trying to establish my coaching career, be a good coach. Win
6: some games, and, um, man, we won a lot of them here. It's a great organization. It's hard not to get choked up about it. Damn, I spent a lot of hours in that room. Come in here Saturday morning, ride the bike, go through three or four games, and the next team we were going to play a lot of hours
3: here. What are your thoughts about what the Giants mean to him? He makes me want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> he does get emotional.
12: You know, I, I, that clip came from uh, a football life. I remember watching that. The Patriots were playing the Giants in a preseason game in, uh, I think it was 2009, so that was his, uh, the last year at Giants Stadium, and, and they took him there to walk through the Giant locker room, and Bill got very emotional thinking about all his years there, but, you know, Parcells and Belichick, Landry and Lombardi, probably the best Sims on one team in NFL history, and it was both with the Giants. They had a falling out, as everybody knows, when, Parcells leaving the jets after the 99 season Belichick gets automatically elevated to be the head coach. He didn't want to be there because the jets were getting sold and he didn't want Parcells looking over his shoulder. So they had a cold war going on for a number of years. Belichick went to the Patriots. It's only over maybe the last 10 years or so that they've realized life's too short. We accomplished so much together. You know, we, we gotta be, get back close. They were never best friends, but at least they, you know, were civil to each other. But now Brian, I think they're better friends now than they ever have been in their lives. When they worked together with the Giants and with some other teams, they were business partners. Now they're friends that Parcells is in Florida during the winter. Belichick doesn't live far away when Belichick comes down. He always calls Parcells, let's get together. When I went to see Bill last year, he told me that Belichick's coming to town tomorrow. We already have a 6.30 meeting at the bagel store around the corner on Saturday morning.
3: Can you imagine going to the bagel store and, and that's exactly. And that's too? exactly
12: what I wrote in the book. I said, can you imagine a football fan walking into a bagel store at 6.30 in the morning, looking over and seeing Parcells and Belichick with bagel and cream cheese and orange juice <laughs> and coffee and saying – what?
3: <laughs> that is awesome, uh, and that is that is funny. I'm wondering if they are advising him now because it's a very tough time. Belichick feels got to prove himself again. Without Tom Brady, they've been barely over 500, and he's doing a lot of weird things in the draft and hiring yeah. a lot of weird coaches. Uh, he, the other guy you talk about is a guy a chance to meet Mark Bavaro, mm-hmm. so uh, one of the most inspirational figures. I actually be I was in California and San Diego with the char, uh watching from uh, watching him play the Chargers. When I tore up, I thought the tore up his knee uh, and just blew up the whole season at that time. But he's having problems. If COVID almost killed him, here's one of the great moments with Mark Bavaro. And if you're listening around the country, I apologize. But you probably knew how good this 86 and how good these giant teams were. Cut 33. On
0: second and 10, 50. over the middle to Bovaro. And the tight end fights his way inside the 30. And a single effort to the 18 yard line a solitary effort by Bavaro who made some 12
9: extra yards totally on his own this is classic and vintage bavaro this is what he does the best he is just one tough cookie he just carries 49ers all the way inside the 20 carry them for 10 yards to get the first down and set up a
7: possible giant score
3: so Mark Bavaro said about three words, uh, is during his career, uh, they defeated the 49ers who looked unbeatable 21, 17, and he carried all these guys set the tone for the team. In my humble view, Ronnie Lott was among the people he carried on his back. What did that play mean? Well, they were down 17, nothing at the half. And
12: I think that play was somewhere early in the, in the third quarter. And it just completely inspired Joe Montana's uh 49. That's right. Um, that was one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen in 40 years uh, of covering this league. You're right. Mark didn't have anything much to say when he played, but boy, his teammates loved him. He 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 played hurt. Um, How's to, he doing now? Well, I just want to say, he, to me, he epitomized the blue collar mentality of this area um, and of, of the team. So I knew before I went to interview him in his house— outside of Boston a year and a half ago that he had struggled with COVID. But I had no idea to the degree. Uh, He had long COVID. He was just beside himself for seven months, anxiety, paranoia, depression, to the point that he sat in his living room one night and was thinking, for how long can you stand on the edge of a cliff without jumping? And that was going on in his mind. That it was his intellectual side battling his emotional side. That he was ready to say, "It's just never going to get better for me." I hate to do this to my family, but I, I can't live like this. And he had teammates, you know, Andre Water and Dave Doerson, who both uh, committed suicide, and then posthumously were diagnosed with CTE. But Mark could never understand. The depth of despair that a guy had to reach to ever let that go through his mind, no less do it. But he's sitting there in his living room saying, I understand now. That's how bad it was
3: for him. And how is he now? He, he's, he's much, much better. Um, I guess the head injury with the COVID, sometimes they go to the weakness in the body. Yes. He's had cancer before or you're going through – yes. they say they have vulnerability. So if he had the CTE, it would go right to his brain and affect his moods. Well, not even that he had CTE, but just the fact that he suffered concussions. And his wife, who
12: got her law degree from Harvard, is a, obviously a very bright woman, You know, thinks the virus went to the weakest part of his body. And in his case, she thinks it's the brain because of all the trauma that it took with these huge collisions that he took in, his, in nearly 10 years in the NFL. And, right. I mean, there's a picture in my book, Brian, um, that he fainted twice in his house in the early stages of this, of this long COVID. The second time, he fell face first on his marble-tiled bathroom floor and he was, was a bloody mess, and his face right. looked like he had his hands tied behind the back and won 15 rounds with Ali, totally black and blue.
3: Uh, the name of the book is Once a Giant, a Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football. Gary Myers, congratulations, and I look forward to having you back.
12: Well, thanks, Brian. The book comes out today for anybody who wants it, and I always appreciate when it. Everybody's
3: going to want it. You don't need to be a Giant fan for this. Gary, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Brian. Back in a moment.
2: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Just finishing up this hour, but it's true. Aaron Rodgers out for the season. It's basically been confirmed. And it's just crushing for the Jets and the team. I don't know who else is out there to bring in. You know, Gary brought up Tom Brady. Think about that. He loves New York. But for him to do that after getting his number retired by the Patriots, I think that that might be a bridge too far. Plus, Got to get in shape, even though he looks in fantastic shape and he looks probably 35, maybe. Um, Rogers going to come back. I bet you Rogers will be back there next year, and unless something happens, a complication that, I mean, people get their Achilles done. Doug Bergram did his Achilles playing basketball. I think the way it is, in my pedestrian way of analyzing, by the number of people I know that do their Achilles, you got a certain amount of miles on them. There's nothing you can really do. I mean, you could stretch him out, but imagine how many times this guy has stretched in his life. More than 99% of the people listening to me right now. So you can stretch it out and do things, but you wear it out after a while. And I guess that's what happened. I don't know if you could ever check the Achilles to see how many miles you think it has left. We'll, we'll see. Uh, a lot going on. It's kind of, uh, It's kind of weird when you walk into a news channel and everybody's talking about one play with one team that happened in one game. But Rodgers has become that big because of his national ads, number one. Number four, uh, number two, his four MVPs. Uh, and I think that would do it. And then he comes to a major market and goes to uh, Taylor Swift concerts uh, and Nick playoff games and uh, Yankees and sits in the front row. Uh, that's what happens when you become kind of a big celebrity. So make sure you watch Fox & Friends tomorrow. We'll be discussing a lot of this. Also, keep in mind, One Nation coming up Saturday at 8 o'clock. You listen to the Brian Kill Me Show. Keep it here.